Good evening, Grace Church. There we go. Uh, yes, my name is Joe Berg. I serve here as a church planting resident with Grace. Been here about six months. And tonight I have the joy, the honor of sharing God's word with you. So whether you've been here a long time or not, uh, we've been walking through the gospel of Luke and we're nearing the end. So tonight we are gonna look at Jesus' prayer in the garden. It actually doesn't say the garden of Gethsemane in Luke. It says that in Matthew and Mark, but we're gonna be looking at Jesus' prayer. It's on the eve, the night before he will be crucified by the Roman soldiers. Everything in the gospel has been building up to this point. So if you have a Bible, please take it out or bring it up on your phone and please keep it there. We're going to look, we're going to, for the next half hour or so, we're going to keep going back to this text. So it's chapter 22, verses 39 to 46. It's a shorter passage, so I'm going to read it. So Luke 22, verses 39 to 46. Let me read. And he, Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So Father, we come to you now following in Jesus' example. We pray to you as our Father. Lord, would you strengthen me now to preach your word faithfully according to your word that Luke wrote. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen my brothers and sisters here, help them to hear not so much from me, but from you through your word. Lord, be present now to bless us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Well, in Pastor Steve's sermon last week, he shared with us five truths to help us in our fight against temptation. And you may recall in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus says something very interesting. He says that Satan has demanded to sift the disciples as wheat. That is, he has asked God for permission to try and destroy the disciples' faith in Jesus. And then Jesus goes on and says, Peter, you will deny me three times tonight before the day is over. And nevertheless, Jesus says that I've prayed for you, Peter, and you will, although you'll deny me, you will turn back to God and then you'll strengthen your brothers. So 
passage before us tonight that I just read continues on this theme of temptation, and it actually fits in perfectly to one of Pastor Steve's application points from last week. So whether we realize it or not, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. Sin and temptation are very real in all of our lives. And one of our greatest weapons, one of the main weapons we have to fight in this battle is prayer. Well, of course, as we just read this story of Jesus praying to the Father on the eve of his crucifixion is all about prayer. And I believe the main point of this passage that we should have rolling around in our heads as we look at it tonight and hopefully as we go from here is this. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And I think this is the main point because Jesus says it twice. First in verse 40 and then again in verse 46. Now this story of Jesus praying to his father on the eve of his crucifixion, it is really one of the most amazing, precious stories in all of the Bible. It's in this story that we have a window into this very intimate relationship that there was between God the Father and God the Son. A relationship that stretches back to eternity past and stretches into eternity future. We also have a glimpse into this mystery, mystery of how Jesus, the eternal Son of God, one with the Father from all of eternity, took on human flesh and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's how the Apostle Paul puts it in Philippians 2.8. So what's abundantly clear from this text and really the entirety of Luke's gospel, if you read it from beginning to end, is that prayer was central in the life and ministry of Jesus. It was through prayer that he communed with his father while he walked on this earth in human form. And it was through prayer that he was strengthened by God as the God-man to complete his mission of dying on the cross for our sins. So with the time we have together tonight, I want us to consider this twice-repeated command, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And I want us to consider it by seeing how Jesus is the foundation of prayer for us, our lives of prayer, and how he is the great example that we are striving to follow. So I believe this passage is not only a command that we should pray, that we all, those who trust in Jesus, follow Jesus, should strive to obey. There's also motivation and strength for us, an example for us in practical ways to follow. And so I want to look at both of those things. So first, Jesus as the foundation of our praying, of our life of prayer, however you want to say it. I've been struggling how to say it exactly. Well, before explaining what I mean by this, it's helpful to look at how Luke organizes these few verses of Jesus praying in the garden. So here's how I believe Luke structures these verses. You can look at it on the screen with me. And so the first verse and the last verse go together. 
And then the second verse, 41, goes with 44 and 46, and then 42 and 43 go together. This is called a chiasm. Now, you don't need to know that word. You can forget it right now. A simpler way to think about this is it's a very juicy hamburger. Maybe it doesn't look that way, but it is. It's a very tasty sandwich. What do I mean by that? Well, the bread of this sandwich are, are verses 40 and 46. They close it in. And here, in these two verses, we have Jesus' command to us to pray. See that? See how they mirror each other? You can see it on the screen there. Then we have three verses that also mirror each other. Verse 41 is paired with verses 44 and 45. In verse 41, Jesus withdraws and begins praying. And then in verse 44, we see him continuing in prayer and then returning to the apostles. And then lastly, we have the middle, which is the meat, the really good stuff of the passage. That's verses 44 and 45. So in verse, sorry, verse, got that wrong. Uh, 42, 42 and 43. So in verse 42, we see Jesus' prayer to the Father. And then in verse 43, the answer to Jesus' prayer. So there it is. There's one tasty sandwich, and it's in the meat of this passage, specifically verse 42, that we find how it is that Jesus is the foundation of our praying. So what do I mean by this? Well, look with me at verse 42. This is Jesus' request of the Father. He asks, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. So if you've never heard the Bible, or maybe you're just beginning to study the Bible, this probably sounds a little bit strange. What does he mean by cup? What is this cup that he's talking about? Well, Jesus was a devout Jew. He was a man who knew the Old Testament scriptures, the law, the prophets, the writings. He knew them very well. He was intimately acquainted with them. And all throughout the Old Testament, the word cup is used in reference to God's wrath. And here's just one example. It's from Psalm 75, verse 8. Let me read it to you. For in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. It's a heavy passage. What that means is that when you drink it down to the dregs, you finish it completely. Not a drop is left. See, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, he is a righteous judge. When we break his commands, when we ignore him, when we turn away from him and love other things instead of him, he is moved towards wrath. The thing is, he's not only a judge who condemns, he's also the one who executes judgment. And the language used for this in the Bible is what we just read. He has a cup with wine. The wine is his righteous wrath. And then he 
pours it out on sinners in judgment. This is heavy stuff. And this is why Jesus in this passage is so deeply troubled, right? We see him in agony, praying earnestly with his sweat, becoming like drops of blood to the ground because he knows he is about to drink the cup of the Lord's wrath down to the dregs, every last drop. So Jesus, even though he is God Almighty, one with the Father from all eternity, he's also fully and completely a human being. He is a man. And it was for us and for our salvation that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became man. And he had to do this so that he could suffer and die in our place on the cross, bearing the wrath of God. And at the same time, he had to be completely divine, God himself, in order that he could drink this cup all the way down to its dregs. Only he could save us from God's eternal wrath against us from our sin. Heavy, heavy stuff. So here's the connection to our own praying, our own lives of prayer. Jesus is the foundation of our own praying because he saves us from God's wrath. So although Jesus asked here for the cup of God's wrath to pass from him, we know we're going to read in the weeks ahead how he submits to the Father's will. He drinks that cup of suffering and he dies in our place on the cross. And so here's what happens. Jesus drinks the cup of the Lord's wrath and in return, he offers us the cup of his blood, which is the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Perhaps you remember that just a few verses earlier in chapter 22, verses 20, Jesus gives to the apostles the cup of the new covenant in his blood. So Jesus drinks God's wrath and in return, he offers us a cup of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. So what does this mean for us when it comes to prayer? Well, it means that no amount of praying in your life, no intensity of prayer that you might have, no perfect track record of prayer is able to save you from your sins. You can't please God, make God happy with you and forget your sins by praying a lot or with a lot of intensity. It's only Jesus' prayer, only his obedience, only his death that can make us right with God. So this means that as Christians, our praying is utterly unique. It's like no other praying in this world. Wherever you go in the world, you will find people devoted to prayer. Doesn't matter what nation, what culture, what religion, even among the non-religious, you will find a lot of talk about prayer. But here's the difference. For us as Christians, we pray because we are saved. We have security with God. We are accepted. Whereas all the rest of the world is praying in order to gain acceptance or to be saved. Now for many, uh, this means praying to a God that they hope 
If they pray enough, if they do enough good deeds, then the good will outweigh the bad and there's no judgment. And for others, for the non-religious, there's talk of prayer as meditation. And here, it's not so much about sin and judgment, but it's about praying in order to find peace, contentment, and rest. So, are you struggling in prayer right now? Does prayer feel empty? Does it feel like a heavy weight or a burden that's too difficult to carry? Or on the other side, perhaps you feel pretty good about your praying, but you're looking down on others saying, why aren't others as zealous and as devoted as I am? So whatever your attitude towards prayer might be right now, it's good to be regrounded in this truth that Jesus and his sacrifice for our sins is the foundation of our life of prayer with God. It's not about our obedience, our zeal, but about Jesus' obedience, his sacrifice, and we can rest in that. Here's the way a hymn writer over 200 years ago put it. Um, if I had more gifts, I could sing it for you, but I won't do that. I'm tempted to. I'm going to change the first little line. Not the prayers of my lips can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. So if you haven't already, make Jesus, his blood and his righteousness, the foundation, the starting point of your prayer. Or take to heart, be reminded that's your foundation when it comes to prayer. Only through Christ can prayer turn from a labor into a joy. So second part, Jesus as our great example in prayer. So before looking at some specific practical things that we can take away from Jesus' example of prayer here in the garden, I want to make two points. First, Many people, many non-Christians, and sadly, even many Christians themselves, don't understand why you would pray to God if your acceptance with God is based entirely on what Christ did. Why trouble yourself in praying if your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future? You know, you, you're going to heaven. You're with God forever. Why would you pray? Well, such a question reveals a tragic misunderstanding of the gospel. And I mean that, a tragic misunderstanding of what the Bible, the gospel is all about. See, Jesus didn't die on the cross mainly to rescue you from hell. He did do that, but rather to reconcile you to God. Jesus suffered and died in our place so that we might enjoy intimacy with God the Father Almighty. See, Jesus wants all of us to experience that same intimacy that he had with the Father that we see on display right here in verse 42. That's why he went to the cross. See, our God is a triune God. He is 
infinitely happy within himself. He exists forever as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has no need. It's perfect love, perfect joy, perfect delight. And Jesus comes to this earth, suffers and dies in our place so that we can be brought in to this eternal, infinite joy and happiness that exists within God. That is what the cross is all about. That's what Jesus bought for us. So we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, for our own joy and happiness. So second point before we jump into some practical things. Does this mean that prayer is always fun? It sounds enjoyable, infinite joy, eternal joy in the Godhead, and we come into that through prayer. Well, I think we all know, for those who are followers of Jesus, it is not always easy, not at all. Why is that? Why is prayer so often so difficult? Well, it's because while our eternal future that we read about in Psalm 16, the beginning of this service is one of eternal joy in the presence of God, pleasures forevermore. We live here and now in this world, the apostle Paul calls the present evil age. Jesus has us here for a reason. We are his disciples. And important passage that we should always have in our mind as we read Luke is chapter nine, verses 22 to 24. I'm not gonna read it, but you can note it. And in these verses, Jesus makes clear that the cross is not only about our salvation, but it's also an example for us. What do I mean? Jesus says that those who believe in him, those who trust in him are gonna pick up their own crosses daily and follow him even suffering on his account, even dying. So we won't suffer and die for our sins. We won't experience God's wrath, but we may suffer and even die in service to our savior. Now people, even followers of Jesus have a very difficult time putting this together, right? But we must here at Grace, we've got to get this Right, we gotta put these things together. What do I mean? We need to at, the same, at one time embrace the free gift of God's grace, complete forgiveness of sins, eternal life with God based on nothing that we do, not even our prayers, but solely in Jesus. And at the same time embrace how Christ has, Christ has lived a life that's an example to us. We follow him into suffering, through suffering, even on to death. And Jesus is our example. We see it in this text. He's our example of incredible intimacy with God through prayer that leads to joy and peace and rest that we can have now that we do have. And he's also our example of praying so that we're strengthened by the Father, strengthened to face trials, and temptations, even suffering that God allows into our life. So with those two things in point, in place, let's jump into and look at 
nine things that I see in this text that we can learn from Jesus' example of prayer. We won't have time to go into all of these things in depth. Don't worry, nine points. I know it sounds like a lot, but we'll, we'll move through them. And I really encourage you to note these down, to look at this passage for yourself and others. There's so much to learn from Jesus about prayer all through the gospel of Luke, both his teachings and his example. And if you you know, want extra credit, you can go on to the book of Acts and see how that Luke wrote that as well and how prayer is then lived out by the early church. So first point of something we learn from Jesus about prayer. It's in verse 39. Jesus had a habit of prayer. Notice that beautiful little phrase in verse 39, as was his custom. Now, if you read the Gospel of Luke carefully, you will see that Jesus had a habit of withdrawing from the crowds and the busyness of his ministry to pray. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 6, we see this, we read this, but he, Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Isn't that beautiful? See, Jesus didn't wait until he was in deep trouble and approaching death to begin praying to God as so many do in this world, right? His entire life, his entire ministry as we know it from the gospels was devoted to regular, consistent, and private prayer. So the application for us is very simple. If you haven't yet, start developing your own rhythms and routines of prayer. See, the great thing about life with Christ, there's no law here. It can't point you to anywhere in the Bible that gives you exactly what you should do each day. But you have freedom to develop your own rhythm and routine of prayer. And the purpose is what you should be pursuing is intimacy with God, with the Father, as you follow in Jesus' example. Second point, and it's right in the same, kind of right on the same line, track, train of thought. Verse 41, Jesus withdrew to pray. Prayer is often difficult. I'm sure you've experienced that, right? You're praying in faith. You're praying to someone you cannot see. That's not easy. Have a conversation with someone you don't see. And you probably have all had the experience. You start praying and what happens? You have a thousand distracting thoughts just coming into your brain. You have all this discouraging thoughts just suddenly flooding into your heart and distracting you. Well, Jesus shows us a very practical thing that we can do. We, can, we need to withdraw, withdraw to pray. And this can be as simple as going to your room, closing the door and praying to your father who is in heaven. That's from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said that. So the point is, you need to do what you need to do to connect with God, wherever you're at. Find that place that you can withdraw to. Third point, Jesus prayed to God as his father. Verse 42, millions, even billions of people in this world are praying daily but they're not praying. They don't know the true and living God 
as father. This is something that should break our hearts. And at the same time, we are fools. If we don't take hold of this amazing privilege we have because of the blood of Christ to come to God as father, to cry out to our father who is in heaven. So learn from Jesus, take this truth to heart. You have a father in heaven. Fourth point, Jesus prayed knowing that nothing was impossible with God. Verse 42. Now this is a mind boggling thing. And it's people, the Christians have been wrestling with this for thousands of years, but Jesus knew because he had planned with the father from all of eternity. He knew that he would die on the cross for the sins of the world. It was necessary. He had to die. That's what he says all throughout Luke. It's necessary. And yet, as Jesus approached that day of suffering, he, fully human, is feeling the terrors. He feels that agony coming. And so he goes to his father and prays, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. See, Jesus had this belief. He knew that nothing is impossible with God. And so he prayed. We also must pray. We must pray knowing God is Father. We must always pray knowing nothing is impossible with God. He can move the mountains. Fifth, Jesus prayed. Uh, Jesus made his desires and his requests known to God in prayer. Also verse 42. Now this is so simple, so basic. Why do I even put it up here? Well, because it's so difficult, isn't it? We don't do it. We so often don't pray very simple prayers. God, I need help. God, please do this. And I think we often don't do it because we're proud. We want to figure it out ourselves. We're lazy. We don't want to take that time to bring those requests to God. But God has made it so abundantly clear in his word, and we see it in Jesus' example. He's ready to hear from us. He wants to know what's on our hearts. So let's follow Jesus by making our requests and our desires known. Sixth point, Jesus submits his prayer and his request to God's sovereign will. Verse 42. Now, we don't have to love and enjoy everything that God brings into our lives. God's not honored by people who just pretend everything is fine all of the time or sort of bite their lip and just push through it. God is honored though when we take even our complaints, those things that really bother us, we bring it to him and we make it known to him and say, God, help. Please step in. That honors God and it honors him all the more when we pray and we ask. And when we don't receive exactly what we wanted, we submit and surrender everything to his will. And of course, Jesus here is our amazing example. Nevertheless, nevertheless not what I will, Father, but let yours be done. And he goes to the cross. Seventh point, 
God, the father answers Jesus' prayer. It's there in verse 43. So of course, God, the father doesn't allow this cup of suffering to pass from Jesus. But right here in verse 43, we see that he sends an angel to strengthen him so that he can endure, fulfill his mission. So we can also be certain there are, the apostle Paul's our example, right? He had a thorn in his flesh. He prayed to God that three times take it away. God didn't take it away. What did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected, Paul, in your weakness. And so we see that here with Jesus. The cup wasn't going to pass, but God's going to strengthen him to go in to that suffering. And he does the same for us. He may not take the pain, the trouble away, but he will, when we ask him, strengthen us to persevere through it. He may even send us an angel from heaven. I don't know what that means, but God does it. Verse, uh, sorry, uh, point number eight. Jesus prayed with fervency and he prayed continually there in verse 44. Now this is both super encouraging and challenging at the same time. Now Jesus, who's the only perfect man, person to ever walk on the face of this earth, if he agonized and struggled in prayer as he strove to obey God's will, we will also struggle. We will agonize with God in prayer at times. Temptation is real, right? Overwhelming emotions come upon us at times, and we are all constantly distracted. So this means, as we talked about earlier, prayer is not always easy, but it's something that we must learn to do. And Jesus is our example. Let's learn from him. Let's walk with him in agonizing, even at times with God in prayer, as we seek to resist sin and persevere when temptation comes. Ninth point. See, I said it wouldn't take too long. We're at the ninth one. Jesus prayed in community with others, verse 45. Now, clearly, I've shown you a number of texts. Jesus was devoted to his personal, private prayer to his Father in heaven. But notice, even here, he's praying in community with others. This is a sweet thing. He wanted the disciples near him as he was going to go to the cross. And of course, they let him down. They fell asleep. They were overcome with grief, but they were his friends and he wanted them, clo- wanted them close. So the point is this, we don't need to drive a wedge between personal prayer and prayer with others. Both are a gift to you that Jesus has bought. Both are necessary. And we all know we're often weak and we need the help of others to pray with us to pray for us. So pursue a community of prayer. That's what you need. You need a praying group to be in your life and to be a part of. So get involved in a home group here at Grace. You can learn more about those. Get involved in one of the DNA groups. This is your group, which you're battling together in prayer with as you 
fight sin and resist temptation. So that's a very quick run through of nine points of things that I see right here. We can draw out from Jesus' example, but read yourself this passage. Look at other passages where Jesus is praying and you can take away a lot more. Well, in conclusion, Jesus is calling us here in this passage we read today to pray that we may not enter into temptation. Just as the disciples on the night that Jesus was betrayed and following his crucifixion were tempted to give up, to deny Jesus, to go back to their old lives and lifestyles, so we are tempted in the same way, each and every one of us. Stronger at times, and then it weakens, but you never know. There's always temptation near until Jesus returns. So Jesus is saying to us, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And the good news is, remember that foundation. Jesus is the foundation of our prayers. His blood, his righteousness. What we're going to see in the coming weeks is we're going to see the disciples' failure. They're going to sin and they're going to betray their Lord. They're going to run away. But Jesus dies for them, for their sins. He dies for us so that he can forgive us, so that, he, so that the Father can embrace us, so that we can enjoy this intimacy with God, an eternal intimacy, an intimacy of infinite joy and peace. Jesus paid the price. He bought that for us, and he's the foundation. A text that I love is David talks about how the gentleness of God made him great. So I want to encourage you tonight to pursue greatness in prayer, not so that you can feel great about yourselves before others. It's only with God, but pursue greatness. And the cross of Christ, this foundation is God's gentleness. You have a safety net. So as you fail, you're caught, but you can keep pressing in to know God as father. You can keep striving to fight that temptation because his blood and his righteousness is right underneath you. You have nothing to lose. He has us completely. So let's learn to pray with Jesus and follow in his footsteps. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this just amazing story, this account we have of Jesus here on this earth, praying to you, his Father in heaven. And thank you that Jesus, you suffered, you bled and died so that we might become the children of God, that we might by the Spirit cry out to God as Father. Lord, we confess that we so often sin and turn against you. We are so often weak in prayer and uh, fall asleep and don't pray and fall into temptation. Father, we ask for forgiveness tonight. In Jesus' name, we pray for forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that we would see that Jesus' sacrifice for us isn't an excuse to sin more, but rather it's to push us on in obedience to Jesus all the more. So fill us with your spirit. 
May we have the joy of learning to pray all the more like Jesus and give us that intimacy with you, Father, we pray. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.